welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, On the Media, The Onion Radio News, and This American Life. And just a quick warning that portions of this edition may be offensive to those sensitive about religion. Down in Florida, they've decided that they're going to finally teach some evolution. Uh, but uh, they had the conservative Christians go in there and lobby for the new uh, textbooks in Florida to say, you know what, we, yes, we're teaching evolution, but this isn't necessarily a biological fact. It's the scientific theory of evolution. Now, we've been through this a couple of times in a couple of different states, Pennsylvania, Kansas, et cetera. These guys, clowns wind up losing in the end. Uh, but in this case, they've, made a, they've gotten a small victory. Uh, but... The reason I bring this up is because there was one guy who made a particularly interesting case down in Florida, and we wanted to share it with you. You get a sense of what you're dealing with here on the other side. Go ahead and roll the tape. Thank you, sir. Before I begin, I'd like to know maybe if uh, any of you maybe have a household pet or maybe some of the other board members, maybe a household pet at home or maybe somebody here. See, I brought these oranges down here with me. I was going to eat them, but after reading all the material I've read this last weekend, I've learned uh, from some of the writings that, and I'm just convinced, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, this orange right here is the first cousin of somebody's pet cat. And this orange here, I'm convinced, just because I've got a conviction, all I've learned within now, I know this orange here is no doubt the parent of somebody's pet dog. And I wondered, would you agree with me, Commissioner, these are related to human beings? You know what? I've read, and I'm happy to report, that evolution supports my belief that these oranges are, in fact, related to human beings. Amen. In 1859, in fact, Charles Darwin wrote in his book called Origin of Species, he wrote on page 176 something that proves that I'm telling you the truth. He said, it's a truly wonderful fact that all animals and all plants throughout all time and space are related to each other. So you see, I have irrefutable evidence that these oranges are in fact related to somebody's pets. And if you don't believe that, well, deep down inside, you really don't believe in evolution. You know, what are you going to do with these folks? I mean, that is painfully dumb. But the funny, great thing about it is he thinks he's making the most clever point. And he thinks, in his mind, it's irrefutable. (laughs) And the dog doesn't look anything like this orange. So obviously they're not connected. Oh, you crazy evolutionary wingbats, you. No, of course, God made this orange as it is, and God made me as I am, and let's just move on, you crazy little folks. Evolution. But what do you tell somebody so ignorant? I mean, how do I begin to explain evolution to this guy? <laughs> Look, they can, they can go on all they want. We might lose in the short run sometime, from time to time, we might lose even in the mid-run sometimes. But in the long run, people are going to look back at that and laugh and laugh and laugh. We're right. They're wrong. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Okay? I mean, I'd... 
It's like I'm arguing against somebody who's saying, what, two plus two doesn't equal four? It equals seven or nine. How am I going to have that argument? I can't. How do I convince you that you're looking at it 100% wrong? All I can say is, all right, I'll see you later. I mean, you keep thinking two plus two equals seven and see how it turns out for you. How about the theory of gravity? You don't believe that either? That <laughs> they say if I step off this building, I'm gonna fall to the ground. Crazy scientist. That's not gonna. Oh. oh well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got a body like you, mm-hmm. but I gotta think twice. This week, Barack Obama gave a speech about religion in which he pledged to increase funding to George Bush's faith-based initiatives by a half a billion dollars. There was much speculation about whether it was shrewd political calculation to woo ever-important evangelical values voters. It's repeated widely that one in four Americans are evangelical, so it made sense for Christine Wicker, a former religion reporter for the Dallas Morning News, to write a book about this huge, unified portion of the country. But as she started doing research, she was told over and over by evangelicals that she was writing the wrong book and that she should instead investigate how evangelical churches were in fact shrinking. She went on to find a group that was anything but unified. Oh, and that business about evangelicals being a quarter of the population? She says it's wrong. What's right is that they are 7% of the population. I judged this every way that I could. I looked at beliefs. I looked at behavior. I looked at church attendance. And that 7% holds up every way you look at it. There's only a small core of people, and they are the ones delivering the vote. That other 18%, it's a swing vote. Even evangelicals often have trouble agreeing on who's who, who's born again, who's evangelical, who's fundamentalist. As a practical political matter, though, versus a theological one, isn't there enough ideology overlap among all of these categories to make the number of certified evangelicals kind of besides the point? I mean, whoever they were, did they not fuel the so-called Republican Revolution and did they not sweep George W. Bush into power? Well, Southerners have been voting Republican since Nixon. Now, once Bush came in, he began to convince us that that group of evangelicals was much larger than it was. But here's how I usually answer that question. If that 7% were really as influential and big as we have been led to believe it is, if it was one out of four Americans, they would have gotten their policies passed because 
politicians would be falling all over themselves. So abortion should be illegal by now. Gay rights should have been pushed back. Um, taxes to help the poor, social programs, all the things that they wanted should be the law of the land. But they're not. It's not just that it's all out there and the media missed it. To use your word, we've been duped into thinking that this juggernaut was just going to roll over the body politic, outlawing abortion and same-sex marriage and criminalizing Halloween or whatever. How did that happen? Well, first of all, what they did was to intimidate the press. When you start researching in this, you see that they were very deliberate about a whole lot of things. They went into the mainline churches and they fomented dissent and they accused those churches of being soft on communism. It was a concentrated campaign to use the media to besmirch these other churches, and it worked. We did it. Then they did a campaign to say the media is so liberal that they are against us. Against them, we covered them three times more than we covered anybody else. The media has been a complete lapdog for the religious right. You hit on an interesting point because uh, the media do tend to be enablers in the cult of personality. There's a handful of people who we seem to have anointed as spokesmen for Christian America, the late Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, James Dobson, Ralph Reed, uh, is that a big part of the problem? There's statistics in the book. Um, they asked evangelicals, do you even know who these people are? And most of them didn't. They didn't even know their names. They had no idea who they were. Let's just talk about something that recently came out about James Thompson. He sent out a million emails asking his followers who had signed up for these emails. These are core folks. They want to get his message. They want to follow him. He asked them to put their name on a petition asking President Bush not to allow taxpayers' money to be used to fund abortion providers like Planned Parenthood. Now, that's easy. It's their core issue. It's not asking much. He sent out a million. He got a 3% return rate. That's pretty good for an email uh, solicitation, but that was not spam. That was sent to people who really are his followers, a million of them. Now, if you say James Dobson has a million followers, that's real different than saying James Dobson can get 30,000 people to put their names on a petition. Now, ordinarily, I would never get into issues of personal faith. But in this case, more or less to preserve your credibility, I, I, can, can you tell me something about your personal history with Christianity? My family is going into its sixth generation of evangelical faith. It is true that I am no longer an evangelical, but for me, that kind of faith is really bred in the bone. And there are many stories of astonishing faith in this book. I think this is a faith that offers a tremendous amount to people. And one of the things that I discovered as I did this book was how much it's still the, the good things that I learned, the example of Jesus still rules my life very much. One final thing. If the disintegration of the evangelical movement is going on as you've described, what are the political implications for the 2008 election? I think that that 7% will never go democratic, but the 18% is and always has been a swing vote. So 
what John McCain has to do is keep evangelicals frightened enough that they'll get to the polls and vote for him. They don't like him. So they're either going to set it out or they're going to go Republican because they are fearful of the Democrats. Christine, thank you very much. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Christine Wicker's new book is The Fall of the Evangelical Nation, The Surprising Crisis Inside the Church. I lit my love and watched it burn, asking nothing in return, except the lessons I've learned by holding crazy faith. I've been touched by that bright fire, down to the root of my desire, while the smoke is A teen is injured mimicking a crucifixion he saw on Christian TV. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Angry parents spoke out today after an 8-year-old boy was seriously hurt while attempting to nail himself to a cross. The injury occurred shortly after the boy saw a graphic depiction of the act last night on the Christian Broadcasting Network. The boy's mother charges the Christian media with, quote, glorifying crucifixion. They kept saying that this act saved the world against sin and and brought mankind salvation, right? What eight-year-old wouldn't want to do that? The networks responded quickly to the outcry by adding a disclaimer stating clearly that crucifixion should be performed only by professional Christs. Oil Redland for The Onion Radio News. In the beginning, he was always on time. But it had been a long time since the beginning, longer than either Donut or Danish could remember. I don't get it, complained Danish. Isn't it time? It's time, answered Donut. It feels like it's time. It's time. Danish paced anxiously back and forth. Of course it was time. He knew it was time. He didn't need Donut to tell him that it was time. So where is he then? asked Danish. Donut sat curled up inside their cold, empty feeding bowl, focused intently on the doorknob of the apartment front door, believing with all of his heart that at any moment the doorknob would turn, the door would open, and Joe would appear. We cannot pretend to think that we know what Joe knows and what Joe doesn't know, pronounced Donut with a sharp twitch of his nose. We must only believe with all our heart that Joe knows. I bet he doesn't know said Danish. He rose up on his hind legs and flailed uselessly at the glass walls until he became exhausted. Breathing heavily, he lumbered over to the water bottle that hung in the far corner and drew a few drops into his mouth. You non-believers are all the same, scoffed Donut. He pushed some dry cedar chips into a small, comfortable mound and settled down upon it. 
As if you were the first hamster to ever doubt him, he said. Joe knows who believes Danish, and Joe knows who doesn't. Joe is here, Joe is there, Joe is simply everywhere. You look around at all your plastic tube highways and your fabulous habit trail and think you're special. But do ants not build anthills? Do bees not build hives? It is not what we build that makes us unique. It is what we believe. It is that we believe at all. Doubt, my dear Danish, is no great achievement. It is faith that sets us apart. Besides, added Donut, he left his wallet on the front table. He's got to come back. He did? asked Danish. He stood up on his back legs and squinted through the glass. Where? Donut walked over and stood beside Danish. There, on the table. Where? There. That? Yes. That's not a wallet, you idiot. Of course it's a wallet. It's a book, said Danish. It's not a book. Sure it is, said Danish. I can read the spine. Along Came a Spider by James Patterson. He dropped down and shook his head. Oh, no, he does not. Donut squinted a moment longer. Damn, it was a paperback. Why would Joe abandon them? Why would he leave a sign for them right there on the foyer table and then make it not a sign? And why James Patterson? What did it all mean? He does not read James freaking Patterson, cried Danish. Our salvation? Our provider? We must be out of our minds. It's a test, Donut said as he curled back up in his bed. He's testing our faith. Danish stood on his hind legs and flailed uselessly at the glass wall until he became exhausted. He took a drink of water, climbed up into the plastic treehouse, and curled into a tight, angry ball. I happen to find Patterson thought-provoking and suspenseful, Donut said after a moment. You what? asked Danish. Did you just say you find James Patterson thought-provoking and suspenseful? Jesus Christ, open your eyes, Donut. Don't you see what he's doing to us? Holding our food over our heads like this? Dangling our fate before us like a banana-raisin nut bar tied to the end of a stick? Look at you, Donut. Are you so desperate to believe that you're actually defending James Patterson? I thought Cat and Mouse was a taut psychological thriller, said Donut. Donut closed his eyes. Hunger stabbed sharply at his stomach, but he would never admit it to Danish. Where the hell was Joe? Danish rummaged frantically through the seed shells and shavings that covered the floor of their transparent little world. He isn't coming, he said, looking for even a sliver of a husk of a shell of a seed. He isn't coming. Donut nestled deeper into his bed, eyes shut tight in fervent concentration. May he who has fed us yesterday, he prayed, feed us again today and tomorrow and forever. Amen. Yes, Danish suddenly shouted. Yaha! He pulled a brown chunk of apple from beneath a small mound at the back of the cage and raised it victoriously overhead. Without even stopping to knock off the stray bits of cedar and pine needle that stuck to its sides, Danish opened his mouth wide and dropped it in. He made quite a show of chewing it, Mmming and owing and eyeing, finally swallowing it with a loud, dramatic gulp. He smiled, patted his stomach, and burped a deep, long belch of satisfaction. 
He washed it down with a few drops of water and slid down to the floor with a contented sigh. Donut watched Danish, a sour mix of jealousy and disdain on his face. His stomach groaned. Where the hell was Joe? Donut stood up and stomped over to Danish, who looked up at him lazily. Well, demanded Donut. Well, what? Well, maybe you could give a little thanks, said Donut. Thanks, asked Danish. To who? To Joe, Danish, to Joe. For what? For the apple he gave you. The apple he gave me, asked Danish. I found that apple myself. Do you think the apple just grew there? Donut shouted. How did the apple get there, Danish? We searched this cage a thousand times and never found a thing. That apple was a miracle, a gift. Joe heard my prayers, and he brought forth upon this cage a holy apple. His stomach grumbled. Danish belched again and rubbed his belly with pride. Except, Donut, that you didn't get any food. You asked, I received. Seems like a strange system to me. He sucked a piece of apple rind out from between his teeth. Hmm, not that I'm complaining. You know what, next time why don't you ask him for a carrot? I simply must start getting more fiber. Joe grants food to those who need it most, replied Donut bitterly. Danish tired quickly of Donut's lectures, particularly when he was hungry, which he suddenly was. Again. He got back up and began searching again through the rough cedar chips that covered the floor. Donut dragged himself wearily back to bed. The miracle of the apple had made him ravenous. Donut would never admit it. He was ashamed to even think it. But lately, he'd begun to doubt. Lately, Joe and his mysterious ways were beginning to tick him off. It was the same thing with him every damn day. Begging, thanks, begging. Verse, chorus, verse. Why me, wondered Donut. It must have been his own fault. He must have sinned. He must have angered Joe. Just last week he had questioned why their litter wasn't changed more frequently. Perhaps there's a cedar shortage, he'd asked Danish sarcastically. It is a hardwood, you know. He had even complained aloud that their cage was too small. The chutzpah. Some hamsters didn't even have a cage, let alone a habit trail and an exercise wheel. How could he have been so ungrateful? He barely even used the blessed exercise wheel, a beautiful exercise wheel that any hamster would love, and Donut had only ever used it once. He was ashamed of himself. No wonder there wasn't any food. Why should Joe give him anything more if he couldn't appreciate what he had already been given? Donut closed his eyes and silently thanked Joe for starving him in order to show him the error of his ways. Forgive me, he prayed. And with that, Donut hurried out of bed and climbed onto the exercise wheel. He ran as fast as he could, huffing and puffing, regret and retribution nipping at his heels. Danish, meanwhile, was going mad. He'd been tricked, tricked by Joe. He was even hungrier now than he'd been before he'd eaten Joe's cursed apple. Oh, yes, very good, Joe, yes, quite witty, shouted Danish. Well done, old boy, touche. Back on the exercise wheel, Donut could run no more. He stumbled back to bed. Danish stood on his hind legs and flailed uselessly at the glass walls until he became exhausted.
donut prayed. And behold, suddenly, the doorknob did turn. The apartment door did open. And Joe did appear. Danish peed in excitement. Donut crapped in fear. Joe was thin and pale, and he wore a rumpled brown suit. The badge hanging from his chest pocket read, Mail Room. There was a woman with him, too, a woman Danish and Donut had never seen before. She had thin hair and thick glasses, and she and Joe wrestled their way through the doorway as one, groping and feeling and rubbing each other, as if each had somehow lost the keys in the other's pants pockets. Joe groaned and tore open her blouse. Danish and Donut pressed their noses to the glass. There better be apples in there, said Danish. Forgive me, Joe, for doubting you, prayed Donut. Joe lifted the woman into his arms. She threw her head back and laughed, and as they headed down the hallway toward his bedroom, Joe switched the living room lights off with his elbow. Darkness. Donut looked at Danish. Danish looked at Donut. We have brought this upon ourselves, said Donut. Danish stood on his hind legs and flailed uselessly at the glass walls until he became exhausted. Donut prayed. Shalom Auslander. His story waiting for Joe is from his collection, Beware of God. He's also the author, most recently, of Foreskin's Land. You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee, talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me with a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet. He called my name and my heart stood still. When he said, John, go do my will. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Jeff Charlotte's new book is called The Family, and in it he examines evangelical politicians who belong to a group called The Fellowship, or more simply, The Family. Charlotte agrees with Christine Wicker's revised stats on evangelicals, but he thinks that evangelical Christianity works its influence on the country's most powerful politicians in less transparent ways, below the media's radar. Family is this international network of elite Christian conservative activists concentrated in military, government, and business. Uh, They really believe that if you are wealthy, if you're powerful, God's chosen you, and that's who they want to minister to. And as a result, they've always had a certain tension with the kind of the populist fundamentalist movement of radio religion, mass rallies, and televangelists. Uh, They tend to look upon the James Dobsons and the Jerry Falwells as kind of tacky, as outsider movements, mass movements, Whereas the family sees themselves as insiders and I think have, I think, a much more sophisticated understanding of how political influence can work. And over the long term, I think a much more sophisticated understanding of how to work the media. 
Now bear with me, I'm about to read you a list. The Masons, the Illuminati, the Trilateral Commission, the CIA, Skull and Bones, the Jews. The idea of shadowy networks wielding secret power has fascinated partisans and paranoics across the political spectrum forever. Mm -hmm. But you were actually able to infiltrate the family because it's hidden in plain sight. I wasn't so much able to infiltrate as I kind of walked in through the front door several years ago because I write about religion. Uh, a friend asked me to talk to her brother, whom she was afraid had joined a cult. And that was my introduction. I moved on from there to Wheaton College, an evangelical college west of Chicago, where the family had dumped 600 boxes of documents. So we don't have to get involved in any kind of conspiratorial thinking. We can uh, turn to this incredible documentary record. Um, as well as the interviews I was able to do with members of the family, like Senator Sam Brownback, Representative Frank Wolf, Senator Mark Pryor. You first wrote about the family something like four years ago in a long piece in Harper's Magazine that was just jaw-dropping. And yet, it seems to me in the intervening time, it hasn't gotten a lot of traction. You're just not reading about the family elsewhere. Why do you suppose that is? The media recognizes fundamentalism and religious activism when it comes in these very stereotypical roles, whereas the elite fundamentalist tradition doesn't look like what Americans think fundamentalists are, going all the way back to 1925 when H.L. Mencken set the mold with his description of these sort of hillbilly Bible thumpers at the Scopes Monkey Trial. More recently, in the Washington Post, which dismissed fundamentalists as largely ignorant and easily led, and poor rural people. And that just doesn't describe the elite part of the movement. Could it be that the press, sort of as an institution, have looked at this and decided that the family exists, but it's more like a, just a, an extremely elite prayer group? The press does look at the family's only public event every year, which is something called the National Prayer Breakfast, which is the dullest, blandest, most ecumenical event in America and concludes that there's really nothing going on here. And they don't really ask very many questions. But recently, a sociologist named D. Michael Lindsay, Rice University, published a book with Oxford University Press. He interviews 350 top political leaders, congressmen, two former presidents who describe themselves as evangelical and ask them, what group do they see as most influential in Washington? One in three names the family or the fellowship, as it's also called which is more than respond for any other group, more than identify James Dobson's focus on the family or Tony Perkins's Family Research Council. That should be a story. So why is the press so skittish about asking the questions that need to be asked? Does it have to do with being uncomfortable, being perceived as treading on other people's faith? I think that's part of it. I remember a real good case study of this was when John Ashcroft took office as attorney general, and you saw a lot of profiles about Ashcroft. And a lot of them noted his weekly morning prayer breakfast. And they would just note that and stop there and not ask any further questions. Now, to me, that's not a conspiratorial question. I want to know, well, what are your theological influences? When JFK gave his famous speech talking about his understanding of uh, the relationship of his Catholicism to his decision-making, that should have pretty much ended the questions there. He had told us how it was going to affect his decision-making. When Senator Sam Brownback, on the other hand, a current senator from Kansas, declares that his faith teaches him that he has only one constituent 
and it's Jesus. And when it comes down to a, a tough decision, he has to think about what Jesus wants. That becomes a very legitimate issue to explore, and the press needs to do a better job at exploring religious ideas. Jeff, thank you. Thanks, Bob. Jeff Charlotte is an associate research scholar at the NYU Center for Religion and Media and the author of The Family, The Secret Fundamentalism at the Heart of American Power. Jesus Christ is hired an associate Christ. It's the Onion Radio News. I'm Doyle Redland. Overwhelmed by prayers, Christ is urging followers to accept Tacoma, Washington-based customer service supervisor Dean Smoller into their hearts. Dean is an experienced customer relations team leader, and he's now authorized to bathe you in the healing light of forgiveness. Smoller had this to say. You can expect the same great service from me that you've always gotten from Jesus Christ. Smoller's experience includes nine years as a human resources manager with Sears. Royal Redland for The Onion Radio News. another one that could have been fun but instead I'm going to take it in a, a sour direction. Iraqi hairdressers being killed uh, in Iraq. You know countries fucked when they start killing the barbers. And that's exactly, that's what used to, that, what happened in Af- if okay, calm down. That's what happened in Afghanistan when the Taliban ran it and they were like, oh we got anybody who plays music, watches American movies, killed in the streets, and, oh, if you cut anybody's hair, you're a dead man. I mean, seriously, okay, i got to ask you this. What the fuck? I mean, how stupid, barbarian, archaic, caveman, cavemanish do you have to be to kill people for cutting people's hair? I mean, you wonder why I hate religion, right? I fucking hate religion. You hear me? Okay? Because... Of clowns like this. Yeah, I know religion does some good in the world. Yeah, I got it. Yet when they're not busy starting a fucking crusade or chopping people's heads off for giving a man a shave, they're doing some good in the world, right? But when they're not starting 90% of the fucking wars in the world, they do some good in the world, 
Right? Look, I, I, I know, I know. When I calm down, I'm going to concede that Martin Luther King, my hero of all time, was religious. And he found faith and hope in Jesus Christ, and that helped him to do some of the right things in the world. But at the same time, these almost... Look, it's not all the violence, but it's almost all the violence in the world. It's started by religious fanatics. Look, somebody wrote an email to one of our listeners. They were having a debate over this abortion issue, ironically because of that Jamie Lynn Spears situation and how she got pregnant at 16, right? And she keeps writing into him saying, Oh, you people are so sick because you want to kill babies. God told me that those are babies and you can't kill them. You're so sick that I want to mutilate and kill you. Okay. Uh, that's step one. And then step two is she starts getting into how it doesn't matter anyway because the end of the world is coming. Uh, well, f of course it is. Because you want to bring it around the end of the world. This tell, tell you Christian fundamentalists are just as dangerous as anybody else. So then she says, no, 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 I know because this, we're going to have a world leader. We're going to have a peace treaty for the world. And we're going to have, that's going to last for seven years. But in fact, the person who did the peace treaty is going to be Satan. And then afterwards, we're going to have Armageddon and all that fun stuff. Then Jesus comes back and kills everybody. Look, if Jesus comes back and kills everybody, I'm about to go over the top. I'll, I'll bring it back a little bit, but I'll bring it back this much. Then screw Jesus, okay? <laughs> you you come back and kill almost everybody on the planet because they didn't suck up to you? Because they didn't kiss your ass? What kind of fucking ruler is that? Okay, if that's what Jesus is about, come to Papa, all right? Then we'll, I'm, I'm ready to take you on. Maybe you'll murder me too, because you're a murdering tyrant, right? But I'm not into it, man. I'll fight you all the way. Just please. The guy who signs the peace treaty is Satan? This is the twisted shit that they teach their followers? Fucking mindless clowns listen to this shit? And then they argue against peace all across the world? And these people, you know, war, 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 more, more war. That's all they want. Christian fundamentalists, Jewish fundamentalists, Muslim fundamentalists, Hindu fundamentalists, all they want is war, blood. They want the world soaked in blood. And then I'm supposed to be respectful of these fucking clowns getting everybody killed across the world. And they say, oh, respect my religion. Fuck your religion. Your religion sucks. It's gotten people, millions of people killed throughout the world. Because what does it say in the books? When you read the books, it says murder everyone that doesn't agree with you. Read the Bible. Read the Old Testament. Read even the New Testament. You know what Jesus said? He said, I don't bring anything else. I bring the sword. Oh, that's inconvenient. You don't like that part of the Bible. He said, I bring the sword. And then you talk about how Muhammad is a violent prophet, right? You know what happens at the end of the Bible? Almost everybody fucking dies. Jesus comes back and says, you're all fucking murdered by my God. Because you didn't suck up to him enough. You didn't bow down before him and kiss his ass. Everybody who didn't suck up, you're fucking killed. I'm supposed to respect this piece of shit religion? Islam. Fucking Islam. Please. You know what? And then I'll... T t now we'll talk about this. Thank God we're not famous. <laughs> if we're famous, they get a load of this, then they'll come to assassinate me too. Fuckers. And then I'm supposed to respect their goddamn religion. <laughs> uh, yeah. Respect my religion, otherwise I'll murder you. F fuck your religion going to come murder people and then talk about how I should respect you? And by the way, what does your religion say? Oh, I don't believe you? So you're going to be eternally tortured. Tortured forever. Forever and ever. You cut somebody's hair? How dare you? 
I'm going to cut your fucking head off, and then you're going to be tortured forever. <laughs> Who do the religious people respect us? They don't respect us. They don't respect anybody. And then they come around talking about how we got to respect them. Please, 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 please. Read the Bible. Read the Quran. Read the Vedas and the Upanishads. Bunch of fantasy bullshit. Violent, bloody bullshit. You think it doesn't have consequences? It has consequences. Benazir Bhutto is dead today. They shot her in the fucking neck. Killed 20 people around her. Hundreds of thousands of people dead in Iraq. Oh, my God is better than your God. Respect my religion. Respect it. No, I have zero respect for your religion. Zero. None. It's a fantasy. It's made up. It's bullshit. Read your history, okay? Huckabee and Ron Paul and all these other clowns want to tell me about how, oh, no, 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 the world was created in 6,000 years. What the fuck are you talking about? You're a goddamn idiot. You want to run the country? You want to run the world? And you're a fucking moron that thinks the world was created 6,000 years ago? Come on, man. Come on. No. My ignorant followers demand respect. No respect. No. You look at how Christianity was formed, man. How can you believe it? How can you fucking believe it? They made it out of their ass. They pulled it out. They had a council 300 years after the supposed Christ dies. And they said, all right, we'll take that part and put it in our political book, and we'll take that part, and the rest of it, we'll throw it in the garbage. How about the shit they threw in the garbage? Was that also Christ's word? Did those, what, those political leaders, 300 years after the supposed Jesus Christ lived, what, they were all, had a communication with God, and they told them which parts to edit, and which parts to throw in the garbage, and which parts to keep for their own purposes? Come on, man, how can you believe that? It's not true. It's not true. Besides which, read the Bible. It doesn't make any sense. One part doesn't follow the other part. You read one part and it says, okay, all right, uh, eye for an eye, kill all the motherfuckers. And then it, you read the other part and it says, turn the other cheek, don't uh, respond at all. Let alone the fact that the four Gospels don't even tell you the story in the same way. Because there is no story. It's fictional. The virginal birth, it's in every culture. Every culture has the same exact myth about a virginal birth. They copied. They were cheaters. All they did was copy the other cultures. They copied the Sumerians. They copied the Egyptians. It's such an obvious fraud. And then they come around and say, respect me, otherwise I'll murder you. Come on, man. Get the fuck out of here. Look. Final word on this. And obviously we're not going to do any of the quote-unquote fun stories today. I know there are a lot of good religious folks in the country and in the world. I know it, I know it, I know it. I know they're not bad people. I know they're trying to use their faith for the right reasons. And I know that faith not only could be a positive thing, but it could be a real thing. I'm not arguing against faith. That's totally different, okay? If you say, hey, I believe in a higher order, I believe in this, I believe in that, I'm not arguing against that. I'm arguing about the actual texts. When you read the actual books, they are not true. And as much as I love you, even there's the people I hate that are the fundamentalists that do the killings, right? We're not talking about those. Even the ones 
I love and respect, and, and I know we're doing good in the world. I hate to tell you this, but you are wrong. And because you are spreading a mythology that is false, it is leading others to do great harm in your name. So I want you to think about that. That's all I have to say. Thanks for listening, everybody. I produced today's episode and am responsible for all of its content. Uh, if you have uh, comments, questions, um, hate mail, death threats, anything along those lines, uh, feel free to send them along directly to me at hippiesympathizer at gmail.com. That email address is linked to on the website. And, um, you know, I'd be curious to uh, to hear any reactions there are uh, obviously this episode was a little bit more inflammatory than our usual stuff and uh, you know obviously our, our our intention is not to offend for the sake of offense um, but really I think uh, that last clip at, at the end of the show there Jenk Huger from the Young Turks um, he summed it up more or less the way I, I feel about the topic and um if you take the time to listen closely and get past the inflammatory language, he really does make the point that religious people who use religion for good are not the problem. And it is possible for people like he and I and others like us to have respect for religious people. Um, so basically, you get my point, and I'm I'm really just saying a big ditto on on what he said. No need for me to explain it again. Um, I just bring it up because I'm curious what reactions are from the audience. Um, you know, really, if if you are a religious person and want to defend it, uh, you know, against against what was just said uh, or anything along those lines, who, whoever you are, you know whatever your attachment to the issue, um, whatever connection you have, whatever reaction you have, whatever it is, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, and uh, and this discussion may continue on later shows. Uh, if we get some interesting comments, I've, uh, I'm certainly not above reading interesting comments on the show in the future. It has happened before, and um, and we have another show on religion coming up sometime relatively soon, uh, we have clips ready to go, and uh, and so that could provide an opportunity to continue this discussion. And but mostly, I'm just curious. So uh, if you have comments, questions, uh, as I say, hate mail, anything like that, send it along to hippiesympathizer at gmail dot com. You can find that address linked at the website bestoftheleftpodcast.com. dot com. And uh, and also, of course, feel free to leave comments about the show in. Uh, the iTunes Music Store, giving your customer reviews, Podcast Alley, uh, or anything like that. All of those links where you can go to help out the show are uh, on the website under the Support the Show tab uh, or along the right side of the page. Everything we want you to do to uh, help promote the show is is there and Every bit of your help is greatly appreciated. 
including, of course, the uh, nomination of the Best of the Left at the Podcast Awards this year, starting September 15th. Head over to podcastawards.com and nominate us for the news and politics section. Thank you very much for your support. So now that, finally, is going to be it for today. My name is Jay, coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the border and conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C. This has been the Best of the Left Podcast, coming to you from bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Black and white, you took apart a picture that wasn't right.